Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Running Light podcast. This is um, kind of the mid-June time out in Tucson, Arizona, so it's nice and toasty. <laughs> it's going to be 115. Nice. Today? That awesome. No, it's going to this weekend. Oh, awesome, man. I know it's going to be scorcher. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's it's kind of it's hot outside, so it's good to talk about sex and stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> right? Well, this is the Better Pleasure podcast and my name's Bo. I'm Peter. And it's great to have Peter you back. You were gone for a little while. That's right. Yeah, I was at the high school camp in Calvary, the Calvary High School camp out in California, which was a blast. It was like in the 30s every night, so it's uh, it a lot different. Yeah. yeah, and you did um, a teaching for teenagers, high school kids, Yeah. on what? Uh, I did one on, well, I, I did a couple. I did one on love and lust, and I did one on homosexuality, and then I did one on confession, which is wow. awesome. Wow, yeah. wow. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. We did want to do a podcast on issues of homosexuality. Hmm. I kind of want to start this podcast with talking a little bit about um, a, an article that came out from the BBC that had to do with um, the many reasons that people are having less sex. It says the average sex life appears to be dwindling and it may reflect some troubling anxieties at the heart of modern society, says Simon Copeland. So, of course, it seems like we're absolutely... Uh, we just can't get enough talk about sex, no matter how this thing goes down. Meaning, it doesn't matter if you have a ton of sex or you have not much sex. We want we got to write articles about it. We have to talk about it, no matter what. <laughs> you know what's weird is every time I go to get like a prescription filled, say I get a earache or I have a sore throat, and I got a because I, I I don't go often, but every time I do go, there's always in the CVS there's always magazines that are right underneath the cashier at the pharmacy and it's funny because i always just glance at them and every time i do i usually take a picture of the rack of magazines because uh, i always am so surprised by how many have you know some lady on the cover and then it says like you know 10 best sex positions yeah. <laughs> you know the next one's like better you know this in sex or you know something of the of the sort right and i just think wow man we are into this <laughs> you know we just can't do these things get bought do people <laughs> actually buy these magazines because yeah. it seems as if every so many months uh, that might be every month i don't know um you know how often they're coming out but it seems like the same theme is in them yeah <laughs> i'm just like so but this article is kind of cool because it it brings up all kinds of stuff whether it's the comp contraceptive pill dating apps talks about that talks about the sexual revolution in the 70s which i've watched a lot of um in my research of porn over the years i used to watch a lot of um documentaries in the 70s hmm on pornography and they're 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 amazing i wouldn't recommend them because they're risky very risky um but there's a lot of really interesting uh things that happened in the 70s late 60s early 70s um and the interviews that they do with people on the street are just great 
you know, talking about sex and what they think about it. What do they think about these porno theaters that are now being, you know, up in lights, you know, because, you, you know, there was a time like even when I was growing up, Peter, in San Fernando, where you had uh, uh, theaters that were porn theaters, <laughs> you know, where they had in lights, literally the name of the porn show. So it wasn't. It wasn't secret in any way. It's like when it came out, it came out. It, it was like, boom, you know, all of a sudden you drive down the road and you're like, whoa, look at that title, you yeah. know? And um, so very, very, you could tell from those documentaries that there was quite a change going on in the culture. Yeah. You know, it, it, I think there's so much change that has happened with, with sexuality over the last 30, 40 years for sure. And how culture looks at sexuality that we've gotten to the place of this article where this article says something really cool. It talks about the invention of heterosexuality, hmm. that people are questioning that. Um, you know, do you think that's valid for, for people to question? Why are we in a, a heterosexual world? Why do we do this? Hmm. I don't think it's valid. <laughs> Even... Even if you toss out God, which I don't like to do in these issues, because like I, I like what you know you said in, in an interview with David Lay that it's like you know these things are they're moral issues, you know. So I don't like to toss out God when I'm talking about them. But for this particular one, I think it's pretty safe to toss out God and say, even from an evolutionary standpoint, heterosexuality you can never say that it was invented because that's obviously how we procreate. Um, that's the most natural thing for a species to do is to procreate through heterosexual intercourse. Now, it's not to say that a lot of different animals don't have homosexual relationships or homosexual type of intercourse, but it's to say that even the ones that do commit homosexual acts, they also have heterosexual relationships too because it's the only way to procreate. Mm -hmm. So it, it would be it would be pretty ridiculous for like a, a scientist to stand up um, like a biologist like Richard, Richard Dawkins to stand up and say, hey, you know, I think that heterosexuality was invented, you know, or that, you yeah. know, our our, con our concepts of straight sex is like is something that we should reconsider. The, they would never say that because, you know, Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion, he said, we are we are machines for propagating DNA. And obviously the only way to do that is through heterosexual intercourse so yeah yeah so it's not an invention yeah <laughs> maybe what they meant in the article because that doesn't really make much sense yeah. right the <laughs> no. invention of heterosexuality yeah um because it seems like there's no how do, i mean is there an invention of any other sexuality too isn't all sexuality something that just people do or animals do yeah um um, but uh, maybe they meant the idea of the invention of the heterosexual marriage. Hmm. You know, maybe that's what they were getting at. Like monogamy. Monogamy. Maybe yeah. that's what they were trying to convey. You know? No, I think there's a much stronger argument for that, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, because, you know, for a while, you know, I think the statistic is, is only 3% of all mammals are monogamous, uh, which is pretty low when you consider things. And then for a while, we thought, you know, people and pastors, they talked about how birds and, you know, doves, they mate for life and penguins. And they're like, ah, oh, it's so beautiful. And then people started to follow them around for a while. And they realized that what we considered monogamy just meant one partner at a time, meaning that, you know, they, they would mate with just one partner and they would procreate with just one partner, but they would have extra 
uh, marital, I guess you can put it in quotations, marital uh, sexual unions outside of their mating partner all the time. So definitely people could say, you know, we as human beings are obviously mammals. So that means that we're pretty unlikely to be monogamous. Uh, beyond that, we're descended from apes, which are not monogamous at all. And uh, we're part of the animal kingdom, which really doesn't seem to believe in monogamy either. So, Yeah. So if you looked at it without the God picture and you just said, we're animals, we evolved, um, then there would be no point. Monogamy is kind of a invention at that point, mm. right? Yeah. It, you know, because animals don't necessarily stick to a monogamous situation. And why would we? Yeah. You know, so that's what I think the article is getting at. Um, yeah, when it comes to to homosexuality, it, it's a tough topic, I think, for a lot of parents hmm. to talk to their kids about. I think for a lot of times, long time in the church, there is that constant Sodom and Gomorrah kind of talk, you know, with, with the kid. Like, man, homosexuality is bad. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah hmm. over it. And there hasn't been really any kind of rational dialogue about it, mm. you know. Uh, I don't think a lot of people in the church, too, have been around a lot of people with homosexual tendencies. Mm. So they they uh, kind of see it as it's those people over there. Right. Um, and, and I'll even go out on a limb here and say that a lot of people within the church aren't really too... Um, comfortable to talk about their own sexuality mm. meaning what they like in sex do they do they find pleasure in sex what is the role of sex in their life how much sex do they have what kind of sex do they enjoy you know all those different um, questions are not very safe within the church environment as well because mm. if you get any one of those wrong um, to what the status quo is then you it it could lead to some ramification hmm. within the culture that you're involved in, and so it becomes pretty unsafe. So a lot of people just don't, um, even in heterosexual world, um, struggle with I, I think religious world that is struggle with this discussion. Yeah. Let alone talking to your kid about homosexuality, yeah. you know, or things like LGBTQ, you know, and that kind of stuff. Right. Most parents. So you were up there with teenage kids, uh, n young adults, we could say, and they're not, they're not kids by far. I mean, porn generation, mm. right? These kids are all raised on the Internet. Some of them have, I mean, probably very few of them have not seen pornography. Mm. So what did you say? Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting because... Uh, from the other leaders, the kids themselves didn't come up to me and say this, but from the leaders, I knew that there was at least around 10 uh, kids who came up to camp who were currently in the homosexual lifestyle. And uh, of the kids that actually came to my class, every single one of them said they at least knew somebody or had a friend or a family member who was in that lifestyle. Uh, so it, it's definitely a topic that's relevant relevant gaining ground becoming more and more uh in the spotlight even though i think the latest statistics said it's only about three percent of the population is about i've heard right? like three to six three to six percent of the population know. so i mean that's three out of every hundred 
uh, you'd run into would actually say that they are practicing in that lifestyle, which is kind of interesting that it's becoming so relevant. But at any rate, you know, what what I started the talk off by saying, and it's it's what I said in the beginning of this, is that I made it very clear to the kids that this is a moral issue. Um, I, I made that abundantly clear to them that this is not a scientific issue. It's not an evolutionary issue. It's not a cultural issue. It's not an uh, an ethics issue. Uh, it is certainly a moral issue. And the reason why I wanted to be so clear is because, like I said, if uh, if there is no God, I find nothing wrong with people who practice homosexuality. I really don't. And Wait, say that again? If there is no God, I find nothing wrong with people practicing homosexuality. Because mm-hmm. uh, even like like uh, the the secular arguments that Christians bring to bear usually kind of fall a little bit flat because people will say things like, well, you can't procreate in a homosexual relationship. Well, that's true, but nowadays with artificial insemination and uh, things like that, it is possible for a homosexual couple to have a, a child, even though they can't uh, create it within their own union, they can find somebody who's willing to bear their child or they can adopt. And there's no shortage of kids who need adoption in our country, as well as many other countries that have a lot of orphans in them. So, you know, that, that argument falls a little bit flat. And then uh, you have things like, you know, well, uh, isn't homosexuality brought on by trauma? You know, like someone has trauma and then they go that way. And while I will say that the statistics are shocking of how many people who are in the homosexual lifestyle have encountered some form of abuse, uh, they're, they're shockingly high for sure, but that still doesn't mean a definite correlation, meaning obviously a lot of people in our culture have been sexually abused and not all of them become gay. A lot of them stay heterosexual. So that doesn't really prove anything. Uh, and, and you can go down the list, you know, it's, it's bad for your health. You know, people bring up, you know, what does sodomy do to the body and things like that. And like I said, while those things have their place in discussing them, none of them are enough to say that homosexuality should be uh, banned or uh, talked about as like, oh man, like that's the worst thing ever. And so I try to uh, make it really clear to the kids that this was a moral issue is something that I was going to look at from the lens of Christianity of why does Christianity say uh, that homosexuality is not good and uh, from there I went on and we we talked about you know like why uh, does the Bible actually say that homosexuality is is wrong it's not okay to do and I took them to 1 Corinthians 6 which is a favorite passage of mine and yours to, to go over when it talks about sexual issues because it's a passage where people in the Corinthian church uh, that Paul is writing to were practicing things like homosexuality. They were practicing uh, prostitution and all sorts of different uh, things that we would call sexual immorality uh, within the church. And before he gets into that topic, he makes a list in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. And he says, I'll, I'll actually just read it to you guys because it's a, it's a pretty thorough list and it's pretty awesome. But in 1 Corinthians 6 and in verse 9, he says, do you, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And the two things I wanted to pull out for the kids in that sentence that I think is so vital for them to understand is, number one, uh, yes, homosexuality is condemned in the Bible. However, if you don't see yourself in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, you're not looking hard enough. You know, we're all in it. You know, if you go through it, it's like, okay, fornicators, that's anyone who's had sex outside of marriage, which is quite a few of us. Then you go on to idolaters. That's anyone who's put anything above God in their life, which again is pretty much all of us. Then you have adulterers, anyone who's been married and had an extramarital affair, which is, again, quite a few people in our culture. Then homosexuals and sodomites, thieves, if you've ever stolen anything, covetous, is that's, that's the one that gets everybody. If you, don't, if you don't think that you're covetous, then you're pretty bad. That's if you've lusted after anything. If you've desired anything unwrongfully for yourself and selfishness, you fall into that category, drunkards. Uh, if you get drunk, revilers, anyone who slanders or speaks badly about another person, extortioners, if you ever take advantage of another person, says we will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we is homosexuality condemned? But yeah, but so are all these other sins as well. But the most important part about the next verse where he says, and such were some of you, is that even though this church, the church of Corinth, was currently engaged in these activities, what the Apostle Paul does, which is genius and brilliant and awesome, is what he's saying is the things that you do and the things that you crave no longer identify you in the Christian life. That's why he's able to say, and such were some of you, past tense. Now, can we stop there for a minute? And let's talk about this. Yeah. Because I think parents, this this is very important for them to understand mm. is that let's talk about this idea of identity. Mm. Uh, Cause I tend to think that what, what pornography has done in, in the last 10 years, especially mm. has created in a sense, a subculture in the United States, not just the United States, but we're talking about that. That's where we live. Yeah. Um, but a subculture, meaning it's like a sexual subculture. Now, you got to think of it, if you're a parent, you got to think of it like when you were young and you were into a certain kind of music and there was, uh, you know, a certain genre and, and, and there was a subculture that really came with it. Like in my day, you did not listen. If, if you were into the subculture of punk music, you didn't listen to new wave music. You know, you didn't listen to Duran Duran. If you were listening to Agent Orange or Suicidal Tendencies, there was no crossover in my day, mm. you know, in subcultures. As it became more, as music became more accessible to people, the more various people became aware of that kind of music. It became more accessible. So people can now listen to punk music more, they can listen to heavy metal more. They can listen to, you know, all this type of music, rave music more. And all of a sudden you had people that listen to Duran Duran that are going, oh man, I like, I like, I like suicidal tendencies too. 20 years later. Yeah. You know, because now you have so much stuff that's accessible. And see, in my day, there was an identity with, with just the, the subculture 
um, mm-hmm. that you were involved in, and you dressed that way, you looked that way, you talked that way, you treated women that way, however that culture treated women, however they treated men, you know, women treated men. It was all a part of it. And, but what I'm getting at is there was an identity. You identified with something, Hmm. um, you know, tattoos. We, I would never, you would never see, like, I see people that are, you know, like don't even do drugs and they got tattoos on them. Pastors, you know, like don't even do drugs. Don't even know like any of these, uh, genres of music that well, they weren't like involved in it. They didn't dress like that. You know what I mean? They weren't involved in these kind of bands you know these hardcore bands that were tatted up mm-hmm. they're all tatted up yeah. you know which again when something becomes more more known more accessible people start going oh you know maybe that's something i can do too you know and mm-hmm. and 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 pornography's done that too where it's become so accessible mm-hmm. you know where where now you have you know not just you know hardcore people into porn you have you know, kids in the porn, <laughs> you have all kinds of people and they, and, and they, and they can identify with, with, with some of the subculture of it, some of the genres, mm. genres of it, you know, so they can, so it's easy for, I think someone today to identify, and this is what I think is important for parents to understand is that, that a lot of times I think a teenager can identify, find an identity with homosexual culture hmm. and uh, you know does that make sense yeah the lgbtq yeah culture. yeah or like bisexuality the culture it's so accessible yeah it's so accessible and and you know if there is if there is a if your your kid is attracted in some way to the culture um you know he they he or she she starts to identify with it hmm. and and then then there comes the conformity to the culture, you know. So um, heavy metal people when I was a little kid very much took me in. I loved, uh, you know, there was something attractive about the culture hmm. to me, the rebellious attitude of people in heavy metal. So I got involved in wanting to hang out with those people. Uh, it was it became a more accessible to me it, and they invited me in. And I certainly took it took time for me to conform to that culture. Hmm. You know, so a lot of a lot of parents, I think, need to take a step back and go, hey, you know, my kid is just like they get a nose ring or just like they get a tattoo. They're starting to identify their sexuality with a culture, Hmm. you know. And what you're saying is so key, especially since uh, I know I've, I've heard your testimony a couple times, because you can condemn an action of somebody without offending them. But you cannot condemn a culture of somebody and still not offend them. And what people need to understand, especially in the church, is that if your kid is beginning to identify with the LGBTQ culture, whether they identify themselves as being homosexual or not, when you say something like, the Bible says homosexuality is a sin, you haven't condemned an action, you've condemned an entire group of people you've condemned of culture you've condemned an identity and it's it's really important to make the distinction of saying like this is not an identity you know what we crave what we desire that is not an identity because if you don't what someone who is is a practicing homosexual here is they'll hear 
the Bible condemns me as a person. They won't hear the Bible condemns something you do. They will hear the Bible condemns me as a human being for existing. The Bible condemns me. Yeah, because they're looking at their identity as that. That's right. Right? That's right. So someone's looking at their identity as a homosexual. That is me. Mm. Right? That's right. Yeah. So um, when you're talking to kids, you're trying to help them see that their identity this is how you're cutting through everything yeah. that their identity is actually not about their sexuality, mm. right? It's not, is that what you're saying? It's not about That's their right. sexual desire. That's right. But their identity is as a Christian should be in, in how God looks at them. That's right. That's right. And if you look at the rest of his list, I mean, think about how ridiculous it would be if someone like, like me, for instance, you know, when I look through that list and I'm like, yeah, I have a tendency to put things before God or yeah, I have a tendency to lust after other women that aren't my wife or yeah, I have a tendency to covet things that aren't mine or yeah, you know, like I could go through that list. But could you imagine the craziness of just saying, well, that's my identity. That's who I am. I'm an idolater. I can't help it. You know, it's just who I am. And whenever anyone's telling me like, well, Peter, you should put God first. I'm like, well, I'm an idolater though. That's not fair, you know. Right. That's who I am. You could, if you took that into every avenue of life. That's right. And right. no one would do that. Or like, like, don't eat that pie. Well, I can't. I'm, I'm going to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because I'm a pie eater. Yeah, I'm a pie eater. Yeah. Or every time I lust after a girl that's not my wife, I'm like, well, I'm an adulterer. Mm. So I, I just I need to do that. I need to pursue that girl because I'm an adulterer and that's what I do. You know, no one would actually function that way. Uh, we we can't function that way. So obviously. If Paul's putting this word inside of that list, what he's saying is that these are not no longer identity factors for a believer. And that's why he says such were some of you, meaning that we've been pulled into a new identity. And how are we done? How are we done? Uh, how did God do that to us? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the spirit of our God. That's something divine happened inside of your life when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You were covered, and those things are no longer identity factors for you. You now have a brand new identity in Christ. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I call my sheep by name. And what he meant by that is he's saying, when you come to Jesus, when you belong to him, he gives you a new name or a new identity when when you come to him. And that's a, that's a very beautiful and refreshing thing. And that's where a lot of the recovery comes into all of our lives is mm. we're no longer looking at ourselves as what we used to identify with. Mm. And now we're identifying ourselves as something different. Mm. And as we continue to do that daily, we start seeing ourselves more and more in this new way mm. and not in this old way. That's right. And, and so something happens in any person who does that kind of identity shift mm. where they start seeing themselves in different ways. Mm. Um, um, so like a parent, when they're th talking to their kid about this needs to talk about really the first step would be something like, Hey, you know, son, daughter, you know, do you, do you love Jesus? Is mm. he your treasure? Do you know him? Mm. You know? And if they say, well, yeah, then it would be, well, what's your, what's your, what's your identity in him? How does he look at you? Hmm. You know, maybe that would be the, the starting point of conversation. Yeah, that would, that would have to be because obviously if your son or daughter says, no, 
Well, then, like I said, this is a moral issue. It would be in it would be immoral for me to then take my Christian morality and put them on somebody who's not a Christian, and it would be unhelpful, because even if even if I convince somebody who wasn't a Christian uh, to to give up being homosexual and they're still not a Christian, that doesn't save them. Now they're just heterosexual and not saved, as opposed to homosexual not saved. So th- and beyond that, what's really clear inside this verse is like. If I don't receive a new identity from Christ, what power do I have to fight these things in my life? See, if I don't have a new identity from Christ, then these things are who I am. They are identity factors for me. And how can you possibly fight an identity factor within yourself? That's part of you. You know, you and that's <laughs> that's what the that's what how the culture always works it right. This that's is right. what we do. This is what we do. This is who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and that, then they would say like, if you fight that, if you fight who you are, you're being untrue to yourself. You're going to cause repression, things like that. And then uh, that's when I brought up the C.S. Lewis quote from Mere Christianity, where he talked about repression, and he said most people who talk about repression don't actually know what a repression is. He says repression occurs when somebody when somebody takes something that they don't fully understand and they deny it within themselves. And he says, but when we talk about fighting sin in Christianity, we're not talking about a denial of something existing. He says it is an acceptance of an existing thing and a fighting of it, a resistance of it. And so what he meant by that is like, if I just tell, if if all I do is I'm growing up in the church and I hear homosexuality is wrong, and then all of a sudden I feel attraction for other men. What I'm going to do is like, oh my gosh, that's wrong. That, I, that's not part of me. That, I don't do that. That's not, that's not true. And I'll, I'll deny it even being there, even though it is there. Mm-hmm. And the more I repress it, the stronger it will become. What this new identity does for you is then if I do have attraction for other males, I could acknowledge this exists. I I do have attraction for other males. And it's kind of a neat approach. And it's a scary one, I think, for a ton of people. Um, because what what you're talking about is, and I found this in my own kind of what we could call just life of recovery for me, you know, with, with issues of pornography or self-gratification, hmm. is when I just have come out and said, oh, you know what, man, I like porn. Yeah. And just admitted that. Mm. Like, and saying it like that, too. And, and I know that's a shocker. Like, mm. you know, people go, what? You know what I mean? Like, how? But when I just admit, like, man, there's something about me that, that likes it. Mm. And you, we could try to figure that out. We could spin it any old way. You know what I mean? Mm. From when I was a kid, I'm not satisfied in God, or I'm just, I'm just empty here, or I, I have a bad ego, or I want to feel liked. You could spin <laughs> it any way you want, right? Mm. And certainly, certainly, I have thought about it all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, but no matter how much you think about it, when you come out and you just say, well, you know, you don't try to fight mm. what you know you like i like the apple pie Mm. you know i know i shouldn't eat it Mm. but i like the apple pie yeah and when you just come out and say i like it then there's something about it that goes okay i can take a breath now (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean yeah and and i can i can now you know fight it yeah i can now deal with it yeah, and, and a convicting question for a lot of parents out there is how would you feel if your son or daughter came to you and said, hey, mom or dad, I think I'm gay. Like, I think I like people. I'm attracted to people of the same gender as me. I really like that. Yeah. I like, I viewed a lot of gay porn. 
and it, it 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 appeals to me. I think it looks really good. I think it looks fun. You know, would you be able to listen to that and be like, that's okay. You know, we all have attractions that go away from the will of God. And son, this is how I fight that. You know, these are the attractions that I have, that the things that I want to do that yeah. go away from the will of like, God. Yeah, like would a parent, like I, I think father, because I'm a father, would a father say, you know what? You have attraction towards things that, that, that as a Christian that aren't moral. Uh, um, and I do too. So, you know, I have attraction. I watch porn too, son, or, or I've lusted after a girl too, or, mm. or, you know, I saw some girl walking down the road or whatever your, your area of lust would be. Mm. But then you would confess that to that son mm. and he would go, whoa, you know, oh, my, my dad, you know, he also, you know, has, has attractions that, that he admits to. And he admits to it so that he can now deal with it in a proper way. Hmm. I don't know if that happens too often, Peter. No. <laughs> you know, I no, would imagine it doesn't. I, I would imagine it, it happens the other way, right? Where hmm. where someone does finally say something and, you know, the parents don't confess their own areas of sin or whatever it is it could, like that list is it could be covetousness it could be other things mm. um you know to show them that hey yeah we're sinners too mm. and we have a fallen nature and that nature wants to make idols and uh, it wants to have e everything else be your identity instead of god mm. so it wants to go in that direction and um you know and and yeah but what you're saying is that and what cs lewis is saying is that to to not admit what is the obvious mm. and that is your struggle mm. then really recovery becomes impossible mm. right yeah it does man because if you just keep denying something that's there that's just going to build up your guilt your shame because you're if, if all i'm doing is like condemning it you know it's wrong it's wrong it's wrong it's wrong it's wrong but it's in me then every time i condemn it i'm actually condemning me and i'm just going to feel like more like junk more like a terrible person instead of fighting it in a real way it's just bringing about more and more confusion in my heart and that's why c.s lewis says after that he says uh virtue even attempted virtue brings clarity whereas indulgence brings fog and what he means by that is the only way to get clarity on what's actually going on in your heart is to acknowledge what's there and to fight it. But to just ignore or to just indulge will confuse you even more. And as someone who, who goes to the U of A campus and talks to uh, some guys there about purity, I know a lot of the guys I've talked to have at least experimented, you know, and that... That was kind of a shocking thing for me to realize because I knew that it was it, it was common for people to experiment, but I didn't know how prevalent it was to in, experiment and what to experiment with their sexuality. Oh, okay. Whether it is to you know experiment, just like you know a, a guy growing up and just being like, man, you know, I've never had sex before. He's at a party, sees a girl, and it's just like, you know, let's experiment, you know. Or uh, a dude who's had a lot of heterosexual relationships, he's like, you know what, maybe. Maybe I'm gay, you know, and let's let's just try it. And he gets a little tipsy one night and they, you know, he fools around with another guy or, or whatever. And it's very prevalent in, in college. I, I would say the majority of people, Christian and non, 
experiment with their sexuality in one way or another yeah, the college at the level. college age. And the, the, the weird thing about it is what C.S. Lewis is saying is the more you experiment, the more confused you're going to get. Because it's not like these guys who are going out and experimenting, they're like, you know, they're like, maybe I'm gay. I don't know. And then they go and they, <laughs> they, they experiment with a guy and they're like, oh, okay, now I know I'm not gay. You know, I tried it. I didn't really like it. I'm not gay. You know, that almost never happens. Usually what happens is they're like, that was kind of fun too. Now what am I? You know, <laughs> but then they're still like, but I still like girls. And that's why LGBT, I remember in high school, it was just LGBT, but now there's a Q added on. And that Q stands for questioning. So it's for people who are just like, I don't really know. And the reason why they're like, I don't really know is because they're experimenting. And the more they experiment, the more confused they become about their sexuality. And that's what C. Lewis is getting at. The more you fight something, though, the more clarity and depth will come to you about your sexuality. All the years I spent as an atheist, I viewed a lot of porn uh, from the ages of 13 to 16. A lot of porn. And I didn't learn anything about myself or my sexuality. I was no more clear at the end of it than I was at the beginning. But from the age 16 to now, where I have been fighting that sexual desire, I have learned an incredible amount about my own heart, about why it goes the way that it goes, about how it goes the way that it goes, and things like that, and how to express my sexuality in a right way. I've learned so much more, but it only came through an acknowledgement of, I like porn, this is the way my sexuality normally goes, and I don't want to do that anymore. And even what you're talking about is like, how many people in the church would be comfortable talking about their sexuality? The reason why we're not comfortable about talking about our sexuality is because we are in a, in a constant state of repression, of just like whenever sexual urges come up that you know are wrong, you just deny that they're there. But the more you deny that they're there, the less clarity you're actually getting about who you really are, about how you really struggle, and about how to help other people. And that is why we condemn so readily the people that are different than us, because that's how we puff up our ego, is by condemning the different. Yeah. It'd be great in our prayer life as Christians to be able to at least come correct with God. Hmm. At, you know, if not with mankind, but to at least come correct with God hmm. and be able to say, hey, God, you know, I had a I had a uh, a bisexual urge today. I had a homosexual urge today. I you know, whatever it is hmm. to be able to express that to the Lord, because it's not like the Lord doesn't know that. Yeah. Um, um, the word says that everything's naked and bare before him and he knows the thoughts and intents of the heart, mm. you know. Um, yeah, I, d I don't know if we as Christians believe wholeheartedly that God could take that kind of prayer, mm. um, that he's big enough and merciful enough and gracious enough to 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 deal with that. Mm. And uh, those are faith issues, issues of do we really have faith in God? Can we really bring our sins to him? Mm. What do we do with the old uh, question that many kids have heard growing up? You know, the idea of I was born that way. Mm. You know, did you get to address that at all with the students? I did. And, and I kind of just fed it into what we're talking about right now. Mm. And that's the idea of like, to an extent, I believe they were born that way. And, and what I mean by that is I mean that we are all born in sin. That's what David says in Psalm 51. I was brought forth in iniquity. 
So we're, we're all brought forth. We're all under the, the, the fallen nature of Adam that we inherited from him that goes apart from God. And so because of that, we are all born with natures that go apart from God, but all of our natures go apart from God in different ways. Mm-hmm. And it's not like these ways were, it's not like we chose them. It's not like when I was growing up, I was like, I, I don't want to go after drugs and alcohol, but I want to go after sex, you know, and I chose it. It was just natural for me. Like, I, even as an atheist, drugs and alcohol just didn't really appeal to me. They just didn't. And that has nothing to do with God, because obviously I didn't believe in God. It just has something to do with my own biological makeup. But some people, with or without God, really crave drugs and alcohol. And it's just the way they are. Some of the guys that we deal with, they really crave gambling. I don't understand it because I personally don't go that way. But they can make the argument of like, well, I was born this way. You know, I did. I just this is naturally the way I go. And some people are born naturally wanting to go the ways of homosexuality. Yeah. So a parent needs to be able to articulate that well to their offspring. Hmm. So when they when their when uh, uh, their their teenager says hey you know uh, you know i was born this way um you know to be able to say to that that teenager yeah i was born a mess too yeah. you know and this is how my mess goes yeah. um would help that teenager realize that that point mm. right that that is not an argument to indulge in everything yeah because if that logic was taken into its um, totality, then every behavior couldn't be really judged, hmm. right? Because That's right, yeah. we'd all be born that way yeah. into it. So we have to be able to logically come to our kids and say, let's take that logic further. Yeah. You know, um, someone who commits murder, are they born that way? Hmm. You know, so is that okay? You know, just because you're born some way, um, does that mean it's okay to do? Hmm. You know, or is it is it is someone born? Did someone was someone born to rape? Obviously, they had rape in them. Hmm. The the act was in their heart or in their mind. Um, you know, were they born that way? Um, you know, and help and help talk them through that. Hmm. Um, you know, so hopefully they could understand that just because they have a desire to identify with something um, doesn't necessarily mean that it's a right behavior. Hmm. And it, and even if they're born that way, that still doesn't mean that it's a right behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I especially address that at the end because one of the, the deepest and most, uh, passionate and emotional arguments that I've heard from people who um, identify as gay and yet want to remain Christians is they'll say like, well, I don't really think it's fair, you know, that I would be denied having a family and having a wife and having kids just because I don't want to be with women, you know, and my my answer to them is actually really simple because some Christians will say, well, God can God can change your desires and he can. You know, I'm not arguing that. God can, and I know that he has, and I could, you know, list examples. However, he doesn't always. He doesn't always. Some some Christians will struggle the rest of their lives, and they'll never have, you know, as a man, they'll never have a sexual attraction for a woman. Or as a woman, they'll never have a sexual attraction for a man. And they will have to take 
their sexual desires and they are going to have to fight them for the glory of God for the rest of their lives. But that's not just true for people who struggle with homosexuality. Take the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was definitely straight, like, you know, or at least if he was, if he, if he did have gay inclinations, he doesn't make any mention of them in his letters, but he definitely had, he was a man and he put down his desire to be married and to have a family and to have sex. And he put them down for the glory of God and remained celibate for the rest of his life because he was called to it. Jeremiah is another example of that. Someone who definitely wanted to get married, but God told him no. So it's not just people who are gay that have to do that. And by the way, it's not just people who are celibate their whole lives that have to do that. Me and you, Bo, have to lay down our sexual desires almost on a daily basis in marriage. Yeah, and, you know, you know, and this might be another topic entirely, but it it kind of goes into this, and that is, um, you know, arousal, sexual arousal, can is something that can happen uh, in so many ways. Hmm. Um, it can happen in a manufactured way meaning you know through something like pornography where you're where you're viewing something that's not really in front of you not real let's say but it's you know it's through a a tv or something like that and 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 it's a manufactured um it can be something where you can if you wanted to look at someone for a long period of time and probably lust after that person Mm -hmm. you can do that um you can and and to say that a, a heterosexual and for me this is kind of different it's like I, I i sometimes wonder about this and this is pretty much more Bo's theory so just take it for what it is but but may, and it's maybe just my background too is for me it, it's like you know i realize sexually i could go in any direction hmm. and i know some people go oh i never never could do that you know <laughs> what i mean oh no I man good good on you brother <laughs> you know that's great you say that but maybe it's because uh I just know my frailty um a bit more than some in that area um and what I mean by that is I've been raised uh in a culture of a lot of sensuality mm. so I've been around I've seen a lot of sensuality um people with different sexual preferences and things of that nature where it doesn't seem like it was that much of a difference to go from one way to another, hmm. meaning to go from heterosexual to bisexual to bisexual to homosexual, back to bisexual, back to heterosexual. It wasn't that much of a jump. Hmm. You know, if you were going to be promiscuous in a heterosexual relationship, it was just a matter of time before maybe you would encounter someone who is involved with bisexuality, yeah. whether it's a girl who's in, who's bringing another girl into the relationship with you, you know, and then that develops, and then there's a, a development of a maybe a homosexual relationship, um, you know, and and so it can, it can, it can, um, you know, fluidity is the big word, right? <laughs> it can be a fluidity of movement, you mm-hmm. know, in and out of sexuality, um, and arousal to me is something that is a choice. Mm. It is, not, uh, you know, I I choose what is going to arouse me it's not just something instinctual Hmm. so it's not just something where you know i see a pretty girl and all of a sudden 
you know, I, I am aroused mm. as a man. No, there's a choice in that. Do I want to be aroused by that woman? Mm. That has to go through my mind. Mm. And if I say yes, then I can, then I can manufacture it. Um, you know, and, and porn is a proof of this for me because not everything on a porn site is going to arouse. Mm. I have to choose something and I have to focus on it and I have to, I have to choose it, look at it, focus on it, you know, and, and say, yeah, I'm, that's going to be it. Mm. That's what I'm choosing, you know? And I guess my point is that the, what I understand is the fallenness of mankind and the depravity of mankind. In Jeremiah 17, it says the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Hmm. Is that for me to choose homosexuality and be aroused by that is not a far jump hmm. from, from me choosing heterosexuality and saying, okay, I'm going to get aroused by that. And I know I might just blow some person's brain out there because <laughs> they go, no way, I, I could never do that. But, and, and you know, may, maybe you can, I don't know. But to me, um, you know, if you put human beings in a context, meaning if you denied humans, um, you know, maybe, maybe heterosexual sex, it's not that I don't think human beings aren't going to choose another form of sex. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to go in a direction, mm. you know, they're going to go towards what what's available and what they, in, and what they can do to fulfill their lust. And so to me, there's a choice factor in arousal, mm. you know? Um, and I don't know if that's making much tie into all this, I think it does, you know, and and the reason why I would say that is because, you know, someone who would, a a lot of times, you know, like what you said of like, no, that could never be me. A lot of times our arousal is based on mental blocks. So a lot of problems that need to be torn down for somebody is they think like, well, I'm, I'm gay. Like I could never have a heterosexual relationship. But sometimes it needs to be torn down of like, well, no, it's not your identity factor anymore. You know, you have a new one. And what that would do is that would maybe remove some mental blocks inside their head and enable them to move in a different direction. Once again, not saying that their desire for uh, homosexual attraction would go away, but saying that they could form new ones over time. Yeah, it's like a person who's married to a blonde and maybe likes brunettes. Yeah. Or someone who's married to a brunette and likes blondes. Yeah. It's a, it, it is a choice of that we would call love, you know, and that... Uh, the major problem that I have when anyone talks about, you know, the, the marriage or whatever is that it's really clear to me after a while that they just want to be married. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with the person. It just has a, everything to do with the fact that they just want the institution of marriage in their life. And, you know, for for both uh, someone who struggles with homosexual tendencies and someone who struggles with heterosexual tendencies, the point that the Bible would make to you is that marriage is about being married to a specific person, not just being married in general, which I hope makes sense, you know, where it's not like you're just like, I want to get married and let me find a suitable candidate. Right. It's that you have a relationship with someone and you desire to be married to that person specifically. And that's where marriage comes from. And until you're in a place where you want to do that, then really all you're doing is just being selfish. You're just wanting to be married. 
and it's going to kind of ruin you when you kind of think that way. Whereas if you're just like, it's about a specific person, then for the homosexual and the heterosexual, you're waiting to be in a relationship with that person that you're willing to marry, yeah. uh, that you're willing to commit to. And until you do meet that person, until you do have that relationship, you're going to be celibate. You know, you're going to be resisting your sexual urges that go against God. Yeah. Because I think like, what if arousal wasn't a choice? Hmm. What, crazy. Yeah. What if it wasn't a choice? Yeah. You know, and, and and we all understand that it is because we all see, If for those of us that are married, we all see our spouses naked. Hmm. They're taking a shower. They're going to the restroom. It's not like you get aroused every time you see them naked, you know, you, you know, whatever. It's not like every single time you're like, okay, I got to have sex. You know what <laughs> I mean? That type of attitude. Hmm. It, But there are times where your spouse is naked and because of the context and because of the choice that you make in your mind to now go, Hey, I want to engage. Mm. You know, this is the time to engage. There's arousal, mm. you know, in that, you know, a rapist is choosing to be aroused by someone who doesn't, isn't aroused by them. Yeah. You know, but that person is, is, is has a mental thing of being aroused that way. They are choosing that. You know, because um, if we say it, that that it's not that we have no choice on arousal and what we're aroused by, then what are we saying? That means that you would go to a porn site and every time you saw anything sexual, you would be aroused. Mm. But that doesn't happen. I mean, that's why you have so many different kinds of porn and people clicking on certain kinds or trying to find certain kinds because mm. because something else doesn't arouse them, <laughs> you know. And I think that what you're talking about that that idea of arousal and, and things like that, I think you could only get to a place like that if, like I said, you were fighting actively your sexual desires and acknowledging them properly. Because if, if you're not, then that means that you're just engaging whenever. You know, you're like a 13-year-old. You know, 13-year-olds get aroused from anything. And, yeah. uh, and it's like, you know, a gust of wind blows by and they get aroused. <laughs> and they, right. You know, they're, they're mowing the lawn and they get aroused, you know, and they, they, they do act on it pretty often, you know, yeah. when your hormones are raging like that. But as you grow older and uh, it's not that arousal ceases, you know, so as, as an older person, you still, you'll still get aroused at weird stuff, but it's just that you've learned more bodily control of like, you know, it's okay, but I just, there's a way to get around it. There's a way to get away from it. There's a way to fight it. Yeah. And that, that happens for all of us as we, as we grow and as we learn our own bodies. And, uh, that's, that's a process that we're all in. Yeah. And there's even a choice to go, Hey, you know, that guy is beautiful but I'm not going to get aroused by him. Hmm. I'm not going to go into a sexual fantasy with that person. Hmm. Um, Cause if we're not, if we say we can't do that to me, that would be really, what are we saying then? Hmm. You know, then we would be repressing, hmm. right? Cause we would be repressing what, what, what we are attracted to. And then, you know, not only would we be repressing it, but then we would, I don't know, there's other, it seems like there's other things we'd be doing too. Yeah. Yeah. And so obviously with every single one of us, different people have different size libidos. You know, some people have much stronger sexual attractions than others. Yep. And some people have much stronger sexual attractions for different things. And it's yeah. going to be a much diff more different fight 
for each person. Yeah. But uh, what what we're saying is that every single person could, in potentiality, go any direction. Right. If we didn't have a choice, then then what what would make us think that we are going to stay in a monogamous heterosexual marriage? Because we have no choice. Mm. Um, meaning I'm in it now, but what we what means to say that I don't. You know, if I if I were to commit adultery on my wife, I have no choice. I mean, that would be a weird society, right? Be ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. It'd be a crumbling one for sure. <laughs> right. There would be no use of laws or sexual laws or anything because that would be the argument hmm. is that I, I do what I do and I have no choice over my arousal. Yeah. It just happens. <laughs> no, where we all have a choice, you know, of what I have a choice if I'm going to still be aroused by my wife. Hmm. You know, or not. You know, that's my choice. Mm. Um, you know, so anyway, it's, you know, it, it's a big topic because uh, when you're talking to your kid, if, it, you know, again, if you're if you're talking to a kid and the kid says, I have no choice, you know, in the matter. And then the next question I would ask is, well, does anybody have a choice? Mm. Is all behavior without choice? Mm. You know, and that's called determinism. Mm. And certainly some evolutionists believe in that. Yeah. That everything is determined. Yeah, nature and nurture and that's it. You know, you just kind of go where you're programmed. That's right, that we're just walking programs and cells, just, you know, Tron is in us. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. the movie <laughs> Tron, everything's just happening, yeah. you know, and therefore you have no choice. Um, and yet the Bible does tell us that we are to choose this day whom we will serve. Hmm. Uh, so it's obviously telling us we got a choice in the matter. Yeah. Um, and t we have decisions to make. And those decisions are important, not just for here, but for eternity as well. Yeah. And obviously, you know, even when you look at someone like Jesus, the most beautiful thing about Jesus is that he had a choice. You know, he didn't have to in a sense die for our sins and we know that when he was coming to the cross in the garden of gethsemane he didn't want to right he says father if it be your will let this cup pass for me nevertheless not my will but your will so jesus will was actually not to die but he chose to conform to the will of the father so he willingly took yeah. what he desired and he laid it down for the father and that's that's our greatest example and what i would like to end with is in 1 Corinthians 6, if you read through the rest of the passage, what he says is he actually says that sex was designed by God to glorify a part of his nature. That God indwells his people and becomes one with us via his spirit. And he says, don't you realize that when you have sex with a prostitute, you become one flesh with her. And don't you know that you're one spirit with God? So sex, in a way, was created by God to reflect a part of his nature and that part of his nature is the unity that he shares, mm. not just within himself as a trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, distinct from one another, yet one, uh, but also to reflect a part of his nature in indwelling his people and being intimate with us. Once again, not that we're having intimacy with God, but that sex is just a picture of something greater. And when you start to understand that, you'll start to understand why God condemned homosexual uh, intercourse. It was because... When he created man and woman, he created them distinct and separate from one another, that they have different gender identities, and that those different gender identities, then those two man and woman, those two different genders come together 
and make one where you have the father and the son who are two very different persons yet together they are one singular God and Paul clarifies that point even more when you get to 1 Corinthians 11 where he talks about the differences in genders and why we should embrace the gender identity that God has given us and he says the reason is is because don't you know that the father is the head over the son just as the man is head over the wife so even in our given gender identities we glorify God by remaining in our lane and saying I want to glorify if you're a man I want to glorify the leadership of God the father in my gender as a man and as a female to say I want to glorify my gender in God the son of submitting and loving and that's that's his argument in that one so with both gender identity and with sexual identity what Paul's argument is is this is for the glory of God and so he makes an argument that like I said it it would be impossible to take this argument and give it to a secular person right because it has everything to do with the glory of God yeah and so if 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 it's all about the glory of God and the secular person doesn't believe in my God then it really falls on deaf ears. Yeah, no doubt. So there's there's heavy theological reasons hmm. um, why homosexuality is not right. Hmm. Um, I look at, you know, in that same uh, light, I've always been interested that uh, in the very beginning when God says, and you can help me find it, I don't have my Bible on me, I, but it's where God first says, and and uh, the image of God, He made them. Genesis one twenty seven. Yeah, male and female. Yeah. Um, it says God created man in His own image, and in the image of God He created him. Male and female He created them. Hmm. And I always found that passage really interesting. Yeah. You know that He made them. Hmm. Them and and there's something unique about the the differences in mm. gender that bear the image of God mm. meaning man bears the image of God in a way mm. but man and woman fully more fully bears the image of God yeah um and that's what i've always gathered from that passage yeah um i don't know if you have too yeah i have and i i read a really cool article written by a messianic jew uh, where he talks about that, about how God is uh, above a gender. And his argument was, if you go through the Old Testament, every time that the, the Holy Spirit is mentioned, because in the Hebrew, they use gender pronouns, which we don't do in English, but in most languages, they uh, assign gender to pronouns, which is interesting. And every time the Holy Spirit is mentioned, feminine pronouns are attributed to it. Uh, once again, not saying that the Holy Spirit is a woman. It is referred to as a he uh, throughout the New Testament. However, what it's saying is that maybe, just maybe, that God has feminine attributes to him. And that in his akkad, in his oneness, he is complete because he has both masculine and feminine attributes within himself. Yeah. And that maybe man is complete in his glorification of God when he comes together with a woman and the masculine and the feminine attributes combine you know where there's no call right when i read the new testament there's no call for for me as a husband uh to start becoming more like a woman and there's no call for women to become more like men 
but there's a constant exhortation for us to remain unified in the given gender identities that we have, mm. which would mean, which would give a lot of credence to this idea of God creating them, plural, in his singular image, uh, that, that there's something special about each gender and it gives glory to God in a unique way. And it gives a very unique glory to God when they come together as one. Mm, which is awesome. Yeah. You know, they're, you know, in teaching teenagers these truths about God, I think then the dialogues get great. Mm. They become so awesome. You know, because it, it, it deals with today's issues of gender identity um, sexual identity, and again, these are all identity issues. Mm. These are all how our students are looking at themselves. They they now see sex on a level that we've never seen it before. It's accessible to them. They see it. It becomes a subculture to them. Mm. It becomes an identification to them, meaning they have a community mm. that they're involved in, whatever that is, whether it's a, just a hedonistic um, heterosexuality or it's some other form of bisexuality or some other thing, you know, um, that they develop those identities and to help people understand, um, our students understand is that the Christian, and we have to talk to them that, Hey, this is how I view it as a Christian, hmm. you know, son or daughter. If you're not a Christian, then just hear me out. Cause this is how Christians look at it, hmm. you know? Um, because everything's contingent on do they are they born again? Do they really see Jesus as a treasure, mm. you know, um, and as God in human flesh, you know, willing to give up their own prerogatives to be transformed into the image and likeness of Christ, mm. you know? Because um, if so, then then it's about giving our sexuality um, and our gender identity over to God as well. And, you know, my gender is what it is. And there are a few select people in the world that have to make a decision on that in their life operationally. Hmm. I don't know what the percentage of that is. Um, but I have no doubt that God certainly would understand the, the decisions they're making at that time. But most of us just are not in that situation. Um, and... You know, f just as I'm saying arousal is a choice of who you're going to be aroused, you know, by at some point, you know, sexual identity, you know, that too, even though it's given to you, um, we know ultimately that, you know, you can choose to go a different route mm -hmm. with your sexual identity, but are you going to ultimately choose to do what God is calling us to do to exalt him in the world or is it really about us and it seems like it always comes back to that is it what I want to do hmm. what you know you know or or am I going to do what is you know best for society or you know people make all kinds of decisions for different reasons best for my kids or best for God hmm. you know to exalt God so um Good stuff, man. Is there anything else you want to mention on the subject? Yeah, the one last thing that I'll mention. Um, well, actually, two. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Um, it's a long podcast, but it's a good topic. So. It is. Maybe we'll break it up. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but, totally. No, it's um, good. But uh, the first thing that I wanted to mention uh, in regards to this topic is uh, 
at the end of First Corinthians six, he says, "You were bought at a price. Yeah, you were not your own. You were bought at a price." And I always think about that because in Romans five, he says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And the very, very important thing to remember and to always um, put into people is that our value is not degenerated by sin. Uh, meaning that no matter what sin inclinations you have or what sins you may fall into, it in no way takes away your value system before God because your value is given to you by, I mean, to put it another way, something's value is given to it by how much someone is willing to pay for it. And God was willing to pay his son for all of us while we were sinners. And that means that your price tag, the price tag on your soul, your value system, is not subtracted from by the sin that you commit, no matter what sin it might be. And I, I think that's a really important thing uh, for everybody to hear because, you know, if you are in the homosexual lifestyle, uh, just know that you are not in any way a second-class citizen in heaven. And for people who aren't in the homosexual lifestyle to know that you aren't first-class citizens in heaven. You know, we're in no way better or worse than anybody else. Our value comes from God's purchase price on our lives. And that's, I, I think, a really, really important thing to always remember. And th just the final thing that I want to say is that um, when we're talking about obedience to God, one of the best ways that we obey God is we obey Him simply because we love Him. And that's the honest type of obedience that He always desires from us. In John 15, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. So love is the predecessor to obedience in the Christian life. And love is the motivator for obedience in the Christian life, which is why what Bo is saying over and over again, is Jesus your treasure? Such a valuable question. Because obedience to God without love is not obedience at all. And in marriage, I think we would all understand that, or any relationship. Absolutely. Where it's like, you know, if I... If my wife asked me to do something, she's like, hey, I hate it when you eat onion sandwiches because your breath smells. And I'm like, I don't really care what you say. But then the next day I read an article about how onions are bad for me. And so I give up onion sandwiches for the sake of my health. It's like, even though I'm doing what she asked me to do, it's going to hurt my wife when I tell her you're not the reason. It's more about my health. And when I say that, that means that my health means more to me than my wife. And if... I give people a bunch of like secular based arguments for why they shouldn't be in the homosexual lifestyle and I detract from the glory of God, even if they follow it, it may not honor God. It may not honor him because they, then it's like, well, why are you doing it? Well, because I want to have kids one day or, oh, well, I don't want to harm my body through sodomy or, oh, I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. It's like those, those are reasons, but they definitely don't honor God in your reasoning. And so that's just something important to always keep in, in our minds that like is my reasoning is my reasoning for the gl for the glory of God or is it for the glorification of self. Mm, awesome. Good stuff. Thanks for listening to us on this podcast. If you have any questions for us, you certainly can uh, give us a shout. The Peter's address is peter at runninglight.org. I'm Bo, B-E-A-U, at runninglight.org. And we hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Be sure to share it, and we'll catch you next week. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. 
You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36, 8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.